Oh, you got a trim. I did get a trim. Your, your lettuce. It's all trimmed it's, up now. It's all gone, bro. <laughs> all gone. How does that feel? Um, Cooler. <laughs> well, definitely when you're going for a walk, but you know. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. Huh? That's that's about it. Yeah, yeah. I went to my. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. I was gonna say uh, we had big news this week. Um, you know, we get uh, those of us who are poor, we get all of the Comic Con table scraps that come out. You know. The, <laughs> The week after through the through the free media. Or That's right. So if you don't want to, if you don't want to, like uh, scour the internet looking for illegally posted videos shot on cell phones during the Comic Con conventions, uh, you can just wait until you know midweek after, and all the trailers and all the news and all the goodies. Because you know, there's nothing more than I like than watching a uh, uh, phone recorded uh, trailer. In a gigantic hall. That's right. But Jeff, it's like you're there. It's like you're there with them. Okay. And the guy in front of you and the person in back of you and the person holding the phone going, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. I was uh, quietly more interested in the, uh, let's see, after, after we recorded last week, they dropped the trailer for uh, Halloween Ends. So yes. I was uh, excited to see that we're we're actually going to get our climactic Laurie versus Michael battle here at the end. Um, I, have, I have not seen the two in the reboot, so I'm I'm going to oh. have to catch up with that. Yeah, and I love Gordon I love Green. David Gordon. I love David Gordon Green. I, love, yeah, I like he, his his crazy. I mean, his filmography is just all over the place. So I it mean, is, it is. But you know, you you should prep because he uh, that's a good trilogy. Um, uh, so far, anyway, I haven't seen the third yet, but um, I'm anticipating that it's going to be just as uh, as intriguing. And um, David Gordon Green is uh, doing The Exorcist next. Yeah, that's he, what you mentioned last reboot. time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm following with interest, as they say. Uh, at your at your favorite new uh, 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 production house, Bloom House, or as you call it, the Disney of Horror. The Disney of Horror, yeah, yeah. I got to meet David Gordon Green for a minute uh, in Baton Rouge years ago because uh, he was there. Um, he Several of Soderbergh's crowd mm-hmm. runs through uh, LSU because Soderbergh's dad was a professor of education right. there for years. And, um, and so... Um, yeah, we were just, you know, being in Louisiana at that time was really cool because, you, you you know, you got several different celebrities coming through the area every now and then. And if you were if you were listening, if you kept your your ear to the ground, you might find out who was coming in town and where they were going to be. And you could just coincidentally be there as well to right. uh, chit chat. It's not like when you're walking down the streets of New York and you see like on the the post, like on a lamp post, it's just like move all vehicles from here. Law and order will be filming from day this day to this day. Just like, oh, these poor New Yorkers. I mean, it's hard enough to get a parking spot in city. No, they've got to be right. It's got to be just ridiculously awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I saw where Marvel is, is has moved all the way to phase six. Is that right? Are we up yeah. to six? They have a schedule now for phase six. And I I um I, I couldn't help but joke about w- when is when is it gonna be phase over? You know, like uh uh never when are we gonna enter the end phase? Uh never. Uh, yeah, Come on but now. It's, it's yeah, it's not gonna stop. So you uh I mean did uh, Kevin, 
did Kevin what's his face come out to assure all the stockholders that you know basically we're we're back on track that we pretty got much. this thing pretty got much this thing nipped in the bud. It's, we're we're the trains left the station. We're on the tracks. It's a smooth ride, and uh, we're just gonna keep raking in the billions. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a shame though because again, uh, more stories now get posted every week about the way that uh, Marvel abuses its uh, FX companies. Uh, that they lease out to. Um, I believe the one I was looking at today, I can't remember, maybe it was in, I'll have to double check, it was in Wired or something. It's just basically like the person was uh, who was reporting the story was talking about, they were talking to one person who worked at the effects house and how the other person, like people around them would just start crying. Just start crying. Because they're just like, I can't do this. I can't, you know. Well, and I think it was you that mentioned uh, in a previous episode how, people were complaining about how the effects were getting, you know, weaker uh, as the, the, the phases continue. And, uh, you know, I think we're seeing the fallout from that. So it's something to definitely keep an eye on and uh, to pay attention to. Yeah. I, well, it's just, it's just criminal not to, you know, not to treat these people well, but again, <sighs> cogs in the machine, I suppose. That's right. I, I you know, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, how many union strikes have there been in the, you know, in the, in the history of Hollywood? Quite a few. And, you know, sometimes the varying degrees of success. But um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's not going to stop. That train is not stopping. The, the audiences will have to stop that train. I mean, they'll have to, you know, start rejecting content if it's going to give them any kind of moment to pause and go you know are we really interested in quality or are we interested in profits and you know or um, are you interested in human rights well (laughs) yeah it's a a much much bigger question that we start to start start to worm our way into i just don't know if they even think about it jeff i think it's more of uh well they can't do it let's hop on to the next hungry effects house that uh will take our abusive standards. oh yeah there'll always be a startup yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that's just the nature of the beast you know well we are uh lonely phds i'm dr jeffrey hazy's dr joseph watson we uh weigh the big issues you know a little bit but mainly we talk about film that's what we try to uh try to focus on this week on the show Dr. Watson watched The King of Marvin Gardens, 1972, directed by the late Bob Rafelson. I watched a very odd one, Wise Blood, a 1980 film from legendary director John Huston. You look like you're ready to jump in on that. I, I saw you. <laughs> I, I had, well, so when you told me what you were doing this week, mm-hmm. I had never heard of that movie. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up. I was like, Jeff has found some kind of diamond in the rough. And uh, I looked it up, stunned to know that it was John Huston. Mm-hmm. And the cast is quite impressive, for, mm-hmm. especially from that era. And so, and Brad Dourif is a really great actor. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm amazing, yeah. the amazing Brad Dourif. Um, what's your favorite Brad Dourif? Well, I really appreciate his work in Cuckoo's Nest, but um, well, sure, sure. I mean, I mean, Billy that's Babbitt. kind of like, that's kind of like the go-to, right? But yeah, I mean, I, Billy Babbitt's all time. Like it's just, you know. Right. Um, but I think also, you know, uh, his work in Exorcist three. Okay. This people is amazing. People, it's amazing. See the Exorcist three, George C. Scott, Brad Dourif. It's, it, it's the best Exorcist. Sequel. It really is the best yeah. Exorcist sequel. It, um, it's in, in, I remember watching it when it first came out on video and I could not stop watching it. 
I must have watched it like five times. It's and, so good. And you know, Jeff uh, Carpenter was signed on to direct. He was signed on to direct that. And in creative discussions, it became more and more apparent that William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist, right, that he really was the person to direct it. And so Carpenter stepped away so that William Peter Blatty could direct that film. And I think it's it was good that he did because well, it's, I don't, a, it's I, a really nice piece. It's a really good film. I don't think Blatty ever forgave Friedkin. Um, and I think that that's pretty much what led to that. I agree. Um, you know, so Bob Ravelson passed away this week. He did. And uh, you and I were texting and and i kind of i kind of had a feeling as soon as i texted you that he passed away i was like i know he's gonna i know he's gonna do a bob rafelson film just because i know that you're very attached to to that group of people and i, I want you to go first today because i want you to kind of get into it and and, and I, the reason i chose wise blood was because i thought it was an interesting link to old hollywood to this new hollywood of the 70s uh, and, and I'll get more into that when we get into wise blood, but I'm going to let you lead off. All right, cool. Yeah, it, it, it was, uh, um, difficult to choose one to do because, um, they're all really good. And I think all of his films have, a I don't know, have nuggets of, of really interesting takeaways, but the 1970s, Jeff, you know, for those who don't have a whole lot of experience with that decade of cinema history, it's just almost like schizophrenic to see one half of the decade is really this kind of championing of uh, the new American wave of, of Hollywood filmmakers where they were really trying new things and just different kinds of scripts. And then Jaws is right smack in the middle of the decade and you see it changes like the latter half of the decade is just the birth of the of the summer blockbuster and the industry just sort of rises up again. But for a while, kids, there was a period of time where people like Bob Rafelson could uh, take a modest budget, go off and make just a really interesting film and be completely alone creatively. And um that just, it sounds so basic, but it's, um, it was really revolutionary for the time because the studios at that time in the late sixties were dying. They just, you know, they were doing things like putting Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin in musicals like paint your wagon and just, <laughs> just terrible ideas. Cat right? blue. They're just like trying, throwing any, any shit at the wall to see what would stick. Um, uh, because they had just lost touch with particularly young American uh, moviegoers. Well, it was and also so, because corporations were moving in to, to try to buy the studios at that time. I mean, that eventually happens, but at the time, you know, they held off, they held it off as long as they could. Um, you know, I think it, who got bought first? Was it, was Fox bought first or was. I'm not sure of the food chain order. I know Fox and Paramount, Gulf Western bought Paramount around. 65 66 maybe mm -hmm. um so i mean it was so it was either fox or paramount was the first columbia wasn't far behind mm -hmm. um but yeah there was this sort of like snowball effect where these large transnational corporations were just buying up the studios uh, and the studios were <laughs> you know were surrendering because they you know they needed the 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 financial capital um yeah. They were really, really struggling. Of course, this is the height of the Vietnam era. Yeah. Uh, late 60s, 70s American history is not exactly a pretty 
portrait uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But um, but yes, I mean, this is the context by which Rafelson, who really started out in TV, Jeff, um, oh, mid 60s, 1966, Bob Rafelson created uh, the TV show, The Monkees. Oh, which, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which became just this massive pop hit. And then his first movie out of the gate was Head which is a movie that was co-written by Jack Nicholson uh, mm-hmm. and um, was based on the TV show, the monkeys. Mm-hmm. That was also a big hit. And, you know, he would eventually make, I don't know, five, six, six films with Nicholson, mm-hmm. I think over the years. Um, and so there's a really strong partnership there, but uh, Rafelson was connected to uh, a studio uh, production company basically called BBS um, which was a partnership between uh, Rafelson, Bert Schneider, and Steve Blauner, uh, BBS, Bob, Bert, Steve. Um, and they just uh, had a six-picture deal with Columbia. They had about a million dollars, which would have been, uh, adjustment would have been about seven million per film uh, mm-hmm. that they did. And they got this contract uh, based off the success of Easy Rider. Uh, Rafelson didn't direct that movie, but he produced it, and um, it was a BBS venture. And of course, uh, Last Picture Show, Five Easy Pieces, Hearts and Minds, which is an incredible Academy Award winning uh, documentary. Is Carnal uh, Knowledge in there? Carnal Knowledge is in there as well. There's okay. about, yeah, there's about, I don't know, 10, 12 films that they were churning out in that six seven year time window mm-hmm. um they uh, bbs disbanded in 74 75 mm-hmm. because of uh, some varying creative differences and so they all kind of split off and went in their uh, in their own respective but rifles kept working i mean I, you know postman always brings trice black widow man trouble blood and wine uh one of the ones that i've missed of his that i need to see is called mountains on the moon okay uh in 1990 so I've got, you know, I've got a little bit of catch up work to do there, but they, they were just very strategic. You know, they wanted to, BBS wanted to recognize young talent because the studio system was just ignoring like the young and, and, and upcoming talent. So people like Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, you would think they would, they would have an end, but it, it was a struggle to get Easy Rider made. And so they wanted to recognize this young talent and and give them, you know, a modest budget, give them, uh, uh, you know, reasonable resources, and then just cut them loose, let them, let them go make their movie and give them final cut. And, you know, just let them truly have that artistic process. Um, Got a great story that I'll share about Rafelson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rafelson went to Dartmouth and he was uh, tossed out of his English composition class on the first day because he wrote a story the assignment was write me a narrative about a family member or an experience that you had. And what Rafelson wrote actually ended up being the opening monologue in King of Marvin Gardens. He wrote this for his English class. He was kicked out of the class because this, this monologue is basically uh, a character telling you how he killed his grandfather (laughs) and it stayed right. It's the opening monologue in King of Marvin Gardens. And so it's kind of interesting how, you know, uh, Rafelson, I saw where years later, Dartmouth brought him back, you know, to kind of celebrate the the alumni. He told that story about getting kicked out and he was like, so you tell me who won in the end. You know, I'm the one who ended up making this, you know, kind of seminal film uh, in the 70s and used that that speech uh, in the long run. But he had to, Rafelson was just a rebel, dude. He um uh, 
I, there, there were stories that I found where he, when he was editor of the literary magazine there at mm-hmm. Dartmouth, he went up and knocked on J.D. Salinger's door and unsuccessfully tried to just bullshit this author into becoming the school's writer in residence, uh, which was something that uh, Robert Frost had been doing mm-hmm. for uh, for several years. And apparently Rafelson hated Robert Frost, right? And was always trying to get uh, Wallace Stevens or these, oh, these other like, yeah. really renowned people yeah. uh, to take over the job. So this is a dude who you know came into movies but he's just a storyteller and he just was kind of a rebel maverick from the beginning, not a big fan of authority. Uh, you know, I think that famous scene in five easy pieces where, he, you know, he just swipes all the, you know, you see this sign, he swaps all the, all the swipes it all off the table. I think that's Rafelson. You know, I think it's a hundred percent Rafelson's attitude, you know, towards, uh, uh, towards authority. But so I picked King of Marvin gardens because it it's, I feel like it's the underappreciated kind of twin. Of, of five easy pieces. Um, and uh, we're, we're not, Marvin Gardens is more of a richer, deeper, if, if you will, uh, exploration into really kind of interiority, right? I mean, this is, we're dealing more with film and psychology with King of Marvin Gardens. We're really dumping ourselves into uh, the, the psychology of, of these two characters. And you can't, Jeff, you can't put this film in a genre. It does. It doesn't fit any of the standard genre conventions. It it just borrows from from every. It's just its own thing, right? And and, okay. and I would recommend that people before they see it, you know, well, maybe even after they see it, uh, that you go back and you watch Fellini, uh, Federico okay. Fellini's, particularly Amarcord, because mm-hmm. I, I think there's lots of homages because we know that American New Wave. Of directors heavily influenced by the French New Wave, but also the Italian neorealists and like Fellini, and so you see these little nods uh, uh, to them. And I actually took some screenshots of some shots that I'll put in the Discord because they're just they're just echoing, you know, Fellini. Mm-hmm. But the story this the story here is uh, um, we have uh, uh, David and and Jason, um, their brothers. David is played by Jack Nicholson. He's a radio host in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And he does these long monologues that are philosophically based. And he just sort of, um, you know, they're anecdotal, but they also have these sort of deep philosophical rifts within them. And this is what, this is what in the 1970s, you know, you know, people could do for a living. Right. Uh, and- oh yeah. Like be the overnight DJ somewhere and just be like, you know, <laughs> Kind of like uh, uh, what's is is Eastwood's like a night DJ and uh, um, play Misty movie. for me. Is play it? Misty for me. I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 It's just it's it's one of those things that you know it's a career that you just can't really probably <laughs> find very easily these days. Uh, but yeah, so he's doing that, and Jason is his brother who is living in Atlantic City, and Jason's played by Bruce Stern, and it's it's mm. really Bruce Stern's movie. Hmm. Uh, it's, it, he's so good, uh, in this, in this role. So they're brothers. And, and what happens is, uh, Jason calls David and says, Hey, you need to come out to Atlantic city. I need your help. Uh, because, um, Atlantic city at the time of the seventies was just this desolate wasteland of potential opportunity. They were trying to get, you know, legalized gambling going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't help, but, but think about Donald Trump 
during this particular movie because he would have been navigating those same waters eventually to success in the 80s but like that that's what he would have been doing is things like what jason's character uh is is trying to get together which is you know working out real estate sort of scams and deals uh some of them involving organized crime some of them involving you know foreign investment things like that but we, we know where this is going right david goes to help him but we know that that jason's you know, I mean, when we first meet Jason, he's getting bailed out of jail, right, by by David. So you you know where this is this is headed. It's going to spiral into tragedy, and it certainly does. I mean, the final scene is is just still pr- pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, props to Ellen Bernstein, who's in the cast for for making that happen. But this is this is one of those movies, Jeff, that you'll want to walk out on when you first start it. <laughs> I'm serious. It's it, it's it's extremely slow. Mm-hmm. It's very heavily laden with psychology mm-hmm. and you just, you know, the first six and a half minutes is just Jack Nicholson in a radio booth with one little sort of arc light hitting him. Uh, and he's just, you know, my grandfather. I mean, he, he, he just right. this, this thing. And, and so if you just came across it, you'd be like, what the hell is this? And you'd change the channel or you'd, you'd want to walk out. But if you make it through, if you, if you join, if you stay on the ride, when you're done, you'll want to go back and watch it again because you'll you'll know that at that point you've missed all these nuances and all these incredible things uh, that were done in the story. And so really, it's kind of a story about two brothers, right? And and one having to take care of the other, and a little bit of, a little bit of vice versa. Um, but it just addresses the that sort of crumbling, decaying America and American sentiments as represented by the 1970s and particularly Mm -hmm. here Atlantic city, there's just blight everywhere. Everything is blue and gray, Mm -hmm. so much isolation, loneliness, alienation, just this sense of like exhausted ambivalence. The only one who has energy is Jason who's trying to put the, you know, the, uh, the, the last ditch sort of capitalist effort together is uh, it, to is it is it then because i know you know rafelson's not exactly a, a technical marvel necessarily but when you describe these sorts of things for folks and i've, I've seen this film so i mean is it you know it's it's a lot of setback right like we've got a lot of one shots we've got a lot of you know sweeping vistas we've got a lot of walk and talks we've got a lot of you know these these sorts of things and and it's it's a it's like you said, it's an interesting blend because it makes you sit with it and, you know, kind of, you know, again, pay attention to, you know, what, you know, what's going on. <laughs> I mean, basically, you know, I mean, as, as simplistic as that sounds, it's, well, it's true. And these characters are not um, lavish. They're not like, uh, you know, Jason's a little larger than life, but most of these characters are just, everyday run-of-the-mill people and so there's nothing really sort of like super inherently exciting about the story or the or the conflicts it's it's how these specific people make these choices and and how those decisions play out is really what kind of sucks you in and drives you um through through the story um laszlo kovacs was the DP and oh you know, Laszlo. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Targets, Paper Moon, Shampoo, Close Encounters, uh, Ghostbusters, Say Anything. Like, I mean, th- he's done all kinds of stuff. But the 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 great thing about 
the movie I think that stood out to me is um, just how amazing it is that on, on these exterior shots, Jeff, mm-hmm. there's the camera never moves mm-hmm. on, on exterior shots. It's all incredibly still. And mm-hmm. it just allows this geography to kind of play into what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if, even if what's going on is completely kind of nonsensical, like there's, there's one scene where they're both on horses <laughs> On the Atlantic City, they're just <laughs> randomly on horses. And it's like, where? but you don't even question that really until because mm-hmm. you're so struck by the aesthetic beauty of the of the shot in terms of its mm-hmm. composition, its balance. It's 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 striking. And uh, and then all of a sudden I go, wait a minute, how, how are they on horse? Like, where do they can you rent horses to go on horseback on the what? In like Atlantic what is, city? Right. It's not some right. So it's 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 those kinds of things though, and I know that they were playing with certain things. I've heard the commentary on this track as well, and I know that that Rafelson was using multiple locations, which is a nightmare for a cinematographer because you have to match, right? So some of the some of the beach scenes, you know, when they do reverse shots, mm-hmm. and somebody's listening to someone who's you know talking, right, right, and and the ocean is behind them, and once well. The, the reverse shot where somebody's listening or responding, that was shot somewhere completely differently mm-hmm. where buildings and stuff are behind this, this, this individual. I mean, they were cheating all these things to make it, to make it work. But what happens is you get this incredible sense of place mm-hmm. and, and all of it is blighted and it's empty. And it's just, you know, uh, it, it's so, it, it's just such a casebook study in how to um, visualize depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just so good. Um, and I, I, I guess my, my final really huge takeaway was just, I really got taken with the confessional aspect mm-hmm. of the David's monologues for his radio show are confessionals. Um, uh, Jason has confessionals with David. There's several scenes where they're sharing stories and it's really got a kind of a religious connotation to it it's almost like a purging um of uh of emotion uh in these in these confessionals and i have to say man this is might be might be one of jack's if not the most underappreciated role that he's that he's ever done he's so understated in this you don't see the eyebrows you don't see that, you know, you don't the get manic, the the manic you stuff. Don't, yeah. You don't get any of that. He is completely stripped of that. And it's very, you know, you would think that if you were casting this, you would have flipped the roles, right? That Nicholson would have been Jason, the, the crazy sort of like over the top rogue brother and Dern would have played David. But by flipping that casting, it was fascinating because not only is Bruce Dern amazing, but it gives Nicholson a chance to really shine because, uh, he's he's forced to be subtle he's forced to be uh to withdraw mm-hmm. from uh from a scene or to be the weaker one in a scene uh and that's not something we see a lot from him or his work so uh and i think he pulls it off and i challenge anyone to go back and listen if you're watching that movie when he gets to the monologue about no one reads anymore <laughs> When he gets to that monologue, 
that is nothing more quintessential 1970s than than that particular mm-hmm. and, and it's just so eerie to listen to it now because here we are and nobody reads anymore no one reads anymore <laughs> yeah it's just it's just really interesting jeff so yeah king of marvin gardens i i um i highly recommend it and i i say go down the rafelson train you know, even if it's not something Rafelson directed, you know, check out some of the BBS stuff. Criterion has a great sponsor us. Criterion, they have a great uh, five please, spon- please sponsor us. Yeah. I mean, they, I love Criterion. They, they have I great, do too. It's great discs, and um, the supplemental material is amazing. Uh, but they have a BBS box set uh, that I got about a year ago, and um, it, it's just so good, so good, good stuff. And uh, rest, I wanna, in, rest in peace, Bob Rafelson. Yes, and rest in peace, Bob Rafelson. Uh, I want to point out to people because I don't necessarily want to leave anyone in the lurch in, in some of our technical talk in here that we were talking about, you know, the way that films will film if you have two people talking in one scene and you you cut to one person in, in a medium close up, let's say, and, and see them, and then the director cuts to the other person either nodding or you to to acknowledge something is what we were talking about. Um, I'm going to post in the Discord uh, Alfred Hitchcock's explanation about editing, um, because I think that that really nails it. You know, it's just about like why directors make choices about, you know, reaction shots and whatnot, because I think that that's that's always been like to me. And we use that with our students too. you know, to try Mm -hmm. to explain not only continuity, uh, but also development of character and what the audience will think of a certain person who might not even speak a word. You know, I, I just I've always I've always loved that example uh, in the way that he explains that. But I didn't I didn't want anyone to think that we were we were moving away from that. It's just like it, that's really a visual example. And I will put that in the discord for uh, uh, for people to uh, uh, people to take a look at and to and to reference. You know, all filmmaking is manipulative. And, oh, and yeah. you know, and I say this all the time and that's not I don't mean that as a negative thing. It's just it's part of the medium. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when when we get into these discussions in cinema history, you know, it's, it's like there's a reason why so many of these individuals who ended up being filmmakers started out as just magicians like stage show theatrical performers like magi- there's a you pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. And so there's so much trickery that can go on you know behind it uh and so yeah I, you're right jeff we should um we should make sure that we have a wide palette uh for mm-hmm. people to sort of enter the uh the conversation absolutely uh we're lonely phds i'm dr jeffrey hayes he's dr joseph watson uh we just got done talking about the king of marvin gardens from the late bob ravelson uh who passed away uh this past week uh this week i watched a, a very odd film i had seen uh, once before uh called wise blood a 1980 film from uh, uh legendary director uh john houston and i'm i'm going to try to connect some dots here between uh, uh bbs and in the new hollywood movement and the old hollywood that houston represented you know this was i think his 33rd film wow. uh yeah when he got to this one so it's got some interesting choices in it uh basically this is an adaptation of uh, flannery o'connor's novel uh and i can sum it up with this uh hazel hayes motes is a 22 year old veteran of an unspecified war Uh, who decides to become a preacher of the Church of Truth Without Christ, a religious organization of his own creation, which is against any belief in God, in afterlife, sin, or evil. And it's basically his journey uh, once he returns home uh, to to Georgia uh, to do this. So, um, (laughs) Always uh, Georgia. 
Always Georgia. Well, or Mississippi. Alabama somehow <laughs> always gets missed. And I'm always, I always go, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for missing us. Um, so, you know, I, of course, am very familiar with Flannery O'Connor. I'm very familiar with Carson McCullers. Uh, that's Southern Gothic literature that I studied, you know, when I was first coming up as an English teacher and also just a fan of, of, of Southern literature, you know, in, in general, you know, yes, yes, yes. We have our, you know, uh, 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 you know, Faulkner's and, you know, whatnot, but, you know, O'Connor and, and, and McCullers really dug into the Southern Gothic. Like they, they looked at the more disturbing. I just love that it was two female authors that, that really dug deep, you know, really, really got kind of into the ugliness, uh, you know, of things. Um, What's really weird about this movie to me is that like John Huston, I mean, I think the film before this is the man who would be king um, and which is the biggest like old school epic, you know, you got Sean Connery, you've got, you know, Michael Kang chewing up scenery together. It's just a fantastic like Rudyard Kipling type you know, story. I mean, I love that. I love that film so much. Um, I really do. It's a lot of fun. Um, he, he makes this small movie based on a Flannery O'Connor, her first novel, you know, and it's got all of these weird, he tries to keep in like all the weird metaphorical, you know, in visual language of the novel. And it, it's really a mixed bag, Joey. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the music's by Alex North. Uh, he composed the music for it and it doesn't work. Like he, his music cues are not good. Like they, they're almost. What kind of music is it? Is it like Southern fair? Like religious it's a combi- fair? It's a combination of that with late seventies, like orchestration, as far as like, you've got a little like funk guitar in there. You know, and then like some weird. Okay. Yeah, like there's some weird like music cues that that instinctually that little... would not be my first choice. Yeah, no, for the no, content. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. it really muddles some of the tone of the film. Like when it's, I guess, going for, you know, uh, satire. I, I, you know, it, it, it's. Is it's, it a comedy, it, Jeff? Is it a comedy film? They mark. They like to think of it as some sort of dark satire. Uh, I disagree, uh, just because it, it can't seem to hit the right notes, you know, Mm. it just keeps, it's almost there. Some moments Mm. it is there, but it's just, it just can't seem to, to find its footing. And that's, that's, that's where I wanted to get to a point about with this film is that number one, it's, it's expertly filmed. I mean, John Houston, this is 33rd film. Like this is not, you know, this is, you know, a guy who knows how to work quickly, it, it's beautifully, you know, photographed. He found a British cinematographer who didn't have a lot of work uh, in in film and used him. I, it looks like he used a really like low budget crew, you know, to put this thing together. My understanding is that it, it had German financing, so he, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, it, it was a very small budget. Right. But but it seemed like it was his attempt, and also during this time period of the seventies, you know, he came off, you know. Uh, 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 working with Orson Welles uh, in The Other Side of the Wind. Uh, he came off Chinatown, you know, working in that film from the acting. Yes. So it seemed like he wanted to really take a stab at at showing that the old dog still had, you know, understood the new the new way, 
I see. You know? I see. And and that's that's the impression that I got from it. It's just like because 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 the material alone, you know, sort of attacking. Uh, uh, religion in attacking, you know, uh, 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 technology and, and really, I mean, the, the, the first, the first real spoken lines of the film is that, uh, Hazel, Hayes Motes is, is picked up by a guy and he's hitchhiking, you know, he's got his war uniform on still and he gets in the car with the guy and he's just like, Hey, take me up the road. And, you know, and the guy's talking, they're talking about how like this, he's like, he's like, I don't notice this road. And he's like, yeah, this is the interstate now. And the interstate, you know, everybody left. Right. Got and went to the city and the town, uh, you know, so so kind of the heavy handed, uh, you know, bit at the beginning there about death like, of trying the rural. To, right. Death right. Of death the of the rural, rural yeah, moving yeah. into the city, you know, and how do how do old ways transition into the new, uh, uh, you know, places? Well, there's uh, your metaphor right there. There's yeah, your that, metaphor that, right that there. Sounds so. like it's a direct connect, Jeff. I mean, that's a great catch, because if that's if that's sort of subtextually what's going on, I think we can easily speculate that that's Houston trying to. <laughs> trying to enter the conversation with BBS. But, but you know, again, that's not his strength, you know, and it really never was. And, and, and for him, I, that's why I give him credit for trying here Yeah. Uh, with this. And I, that's why I said, I think he was really trying to, he had been reinvigorated from doing at least the acting side of working in new Hollywood, you know, in, in, in seeing how people were beginning to make films and how, dialogue had changed in the way films can be made and that they can be a little more abstract and a little more strange, you know, and, and right. more, you know, a lot of walk and talk in this, like actually very beautiful walk and talk in this. Like, I don't know if he got a, a steady cam or if he just got a really good camera operator on the back of a truck or something, but they do these particularly long street shots, you know, three to five minutes long of Brad Dorf and this other character having conversation and just, go 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 you know track 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 right track. so i don't know if he got a steady cam i haven't been able to find any research on you know anybody to cop to it but uh it's either steady what cam year, or they, what year is, did this come out i'm gonna say it came out in 80 so it was probably filmed late 78 middle 79 somewhere in there so well, steady cam steady was, cam was around yeah yeah so it's quite possible um i'm fascinated to know if it's similar to is any movie that has a preacher character. Uh, I'm fascinated because of, you know films like Elmer Gantry, um, yes. you know the, the the Apostle, like these these kind of films stand out. But it usually deals with some sort of um, fraudulent behavior, right on the on the part of the preacher. Is right, that and he is, those, it's, it's is it's the exact same mold, right? Okay. Like this is this is you know he he has sex with a prostitute uh you know he feels well guilty preachers about have done that in the past <laughs> right right i mean he, he's torn between wanting to you know he's he seems to want to reject making money for his new religion yet everyone around him like you know are also shysters who want to make money off religion so there's that sort of stream going through the film uh ned Beatty shows up in an amazing ned Beatty capacity oh, uh it's so good uh his little 15 minutes in the movie is as kind of a guy who takes advantage of him and, and wants to like just like make money off you know him speaking on a street corner is so good uh I'm mr. Sure... Luthor. <laughs> mr. Luthor. Mr. Luthor. hush otis what is it Love it. you know they have kind of a mr peabody relationship they do. don't they with with yeah. that back and forth with him and, and, him and superman um i want to ask you though this is because this this film again i'm always fascinated 
I was born and raised in Alabama. I'm an Alabamian. And I'm always fascinated with people who are not from here. Mm. Nowhere near here. John Houston is nowhere near from, from here. Um, this fascination that they have with trying to understand the South, you know, and how it gets represented. And actually, I will say how it gets misrepresented, or at least they try to pound the nail you know, constantly by, by zeroing in on religion or racism or, and I will be honest. Okay, folks, for our, for, cause we've now sort of made this a running segment in our shows uh, for 2022, the N word is used a lot in this film. So just uh, get ready. Like yes. if you. <laughs> well, and I should, I should add real quick that in King of Marvin gardens as well. Oh, uh, okay. They do say at one point they're trying to get some Japanese investors and, after the that that hilarious dinner scene um that doesn't go well mm-hmm. bruce stern refers to them as the orientals mm. okay so there's yeah. you know and and i i i was trying to remember jeff but i think it wasn't until the, i read the work of edward saeed okay. um in, in as an undergrad in college where i really started to understand that whole dynamic and how that was incredibly <laughs> ethnocentric and racist, you know, to, to, to refer to, uh, to that as the Orient or the, or, you know, that, that whole right. history, I, I didn't well, Orientalism. Yeah. I mean, that right. was, it was a, it was a groundbreaking piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I th- yeah. But I think it was Saeed that, that like, that it was my exposure to that, that helped me see that and, and change my, my way of thinking or talking about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you, that. You, you were raised in the South as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, 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 I've spent time in uh, Tennessee, Louisiana, Alabama, and Georgia now. So I feel like I have a pretty good understanding mm-hmm. of the South. Um, and I do see it. I see where representation um, is, is really either highly, highly exaggerated Right. for a specific fact. And it, again, it's not that these people don't exist, but no, they're not, not, they're not the norm. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a reason why whenever there's a hurricane or a tornado that blows through the first place, a news crew is going to go is some trailer park somewhere because yeah. they want, you know, they want to try and evoke that stereotype. There's a great book that was written by one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Allison Graham, from the University of Memphis, she's she's retired now, but um, the book was amazing. It was called Framing the South. And it was really just an exploration of all of the Southern archetypes that existed uh, from Hollywood that were really kind of almost pure fabrications in a way. Uh, they just, you know, or, or extreme exaggerations of, you know, of, of, uh, of events and people. Yeah. Um, and so to a certain extent, the South is exploited uh in that way fairly or unfairly you can you know take it for whatever it's worth but uh but yeah i don't don't know what the fascination is with it i'm gonna have to do uh a deep dive on some southern stuff because now i think we do i I, I just it, it just it completely distracted me this week Bottom line, though, on on Wise Blood is this: um, I think it's a a older filmmaker's attempt 
at trying new ideas very late in his career. I credit John Houston for the try. Uh, I don't think it hits. Uh, I, I was reading that it was a huge hit at Cannes and, you know, people really liked this film and, and I just kind of tip my hat to him and go, well, that's okay. You know, I, I understand your, what you're seeing, but from my viewpoint of things, uh, I just, I, I think this film is a miss uh, in his catalog and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, uh, uh, you know, to anyone I'm going to post it. I'm going to post the YouTube link in the, in the discord. If people still want to watch it, you know, absolutely, please watch it, form your own opinion, you know, and, and, and see what you think about it. But, um, I just don't think there's enough pluses here, uh, as far as, uh, uh technique, uh, storytelling, uh, what he's trying to land, you know, that, that's still a big head scratcher to me, uh, at, at the end of this film. So what what do you recommend that folks go see by John Houston? Oh Lord, I, I mean, where do you start? Like, I don't know. I don't know. You know it's just like it's I, again. I, I, I I would I would again I would recommend something like the the the, the you know uh, uh, the man who would be king. It's just so so good. This <laughs> is such a great movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Treasure of the Sierra Madre mm-hmm. cannot. I mean, that's just stone cold classic right there, man. I mean, that's, you want to talk about like a encapsulation of, of, of uh, aesthetic and, and also entertainment. Like that's, he, he was a real master at that. Yeah, that's a great like, movie. Dude, it's such a great movie, but you know, we'll, uh, I'll see if I can't put a few more together for you, but I'll just say for right now, like, okay, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Go watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre. That's, that's the one uh, I will go with uh, for my recommendations. Uh, you can uh, chat with us through our Discord. We have one of those. Of course, we've been talking throughout the show and many of our previous shows that we go there. We post materials uh, for people to watch, to interact with. Uh, you you know, if you want to chat while you're there, that's fine. And if you don't, that's fine, too. Uh, if you want to ask us a question about the show or you have any other curiosities, you can email us, lonelyphds at gmail.com. Uh, that's L-O-N-E-L-Y-P-H-D-S at gmail.com um any other business we're good we're good from your end all right well i'm dr jeffrey hayes i'm dr joseph watson and we'll see you next time